Well, good morning, Centennial Covenant Church. Thank you for having me this morning and for inviting me into your living room. What a gesture of hospitality. I'm grateful uh, to be here. I have a tool that I love to use to get conversations going in small groups. It's a deck of cards, each with a different image on them. And I like to lay them out on a table and have people pick one that resonates with them. By far, the card that is chosen the most frequently is this one. And on multiple occasions, the person who has chosen this card has explained that they picked it because to them, it captures a sense of freedom. A child running through soft grass, barefoot, the sun shining down on their face, joy displayed, a bouquet of vibrant balloons. What if I told you this morning that Jesus came so that we could experience more of this in our souls. In the midst of the chaos that is all around us in this world, I would love for us to pause this morning and to ponder the beautiful and life-giving truth that in Christ we can have true and abiding freedom. Would you pray with me as we open God's word together? Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in this place and in our homes. We thank you for your word, that it is living and active, that it is able to make us more like your son, Jesus. And we pray it would do exactly that this morning. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. To help us wrap our minds around the type of freedom that is available to us in Christ, would you turn in your Bible with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to bop all around chapter 5 this morning as we look at four aspects of freedom in Christ, and I'll do my best to fill you in on the context as we go. You'll notice throughout this message that I will add the phrase, in Christ, after the word freedom. This is intentional on my part, because freedom is a word that is used frequently and in many different contexts. I want to be clear that the type of freedom we're talking about this morning is freedom that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christian freedom is distinct from other types, as we'll see in Galatians chapter 5. So let's jump in. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 1 and 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And then verse 13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The first aspect of freedom in Christ is that it's an ongoing calling. Paul reminds the Galatian believers of the spiritual reality that believing in Jesus has set them free. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has accomplished freedom for us 
once and for all. They are no longer prisoners to the law or to their sinful nature. Jesus has opened wide the prison door. But Paul finds the Galatians crawling back to their prisoner ways. You see, in fear of persecution, a group of believers had reverted back to their strict, law-abiding ways. This group is come to known, be known as the Judaizers, and they are promoting this Jesus-law hybrid. And in this immediate context in this verse, Paul is addressing their teaching that the practice of circumcision is still necessary for salvation. It's as if the Galatians are sitting in the prison cell, acting like prisoners, with the door wide open. Paul insists, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now get out there and start living like free people. And then in, in verse 13, we get this helpful word, called. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Have you ever thought of pursuing freedom in Christ as a calling on your life? I love this concept because I think it captures the journey-like aspect of freedom. We are set free once and for all when we put our faith in Jesus. But then we are called to a lifelong adventure of living out that freedom in our real lives. I can relate to the Galatians who seem to have a steep learning curve when it comes to discovering how to live as free people. Paul is willing to take on the difficult task of trying to teach old dogs new tricks, to disciple these believers gradually out of bondage and into freedom. God is equally patient with us. He realizes that the shackles that we wore for such a long time left lasting imprints and that it'll take time for us to settle into our new ways of walking. I sensed a clear call to ministry at 18. I was attending Bible college in England for a year with the plan of heading to Colorado State afterwards to become a news anchor. The voice wasn't audible, the call wasn't an audible voice, but rather a clear inner conviction that I was to devote myself to vocational ministry. This calling, though clear at a specific time and place, has unfolded a lot like a journey. Like any journey, it has involved mountaintops and valleys, moments of total assurance and others of confusion and doubt. It's involved making decisions to seek healing through counseling and spiritual direction, stretching my mind and my wallet to receive more education, and ultimately, a repetitive surrender to the giver of the call for direction and strength. This is the nature of a calling. And if we are called to be free, we would be foolish to think that it's going to be straightforward and easy. It requires intentionality and frequent recommitment. This should give us great comfort that when we find ourselves sitting back in the jail cell, acting like prisoners, that God isn't going to give up on us, but he's going to 
call us over and over again back into his freedom. Speaking of finding ourselves back in the prison cell, the second aspect of freedom in Christ that we see in Galatians chapter 5 is that, Galatia, is that freedom in Christ can be hijacked. Verse 1 again says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And then verses 7 to 10 say, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Like many of the recipients of Paul's letters, the believers in Galatia had started strong, and now they were tempted to follow the teaching of the Judaizers right back into the yoke of slavery. They sprung out of the blocks, to use the running analogy, and they were making good time when the Judaizers started trying to trip them up. You see, the law had a purpose, which was to be Israel's temporary ethical guardian until Jesus. Then Jesus ushered in a new covenant of grace that fulfilled the old covenant. It's a grace-only gospel, not grace and following certain laws to be saved. Paul clarifies this a few chapters earlier in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, which we heard earlier. Listen to this again. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. Just like the Galatians, when we heed the call to freedom in an intentional way, we will be met by hijackers who will try to get us to revert to our old ways. Will we be caught off guard and allow them to trip us up? Or will we allow the pressure to propel us deeper into freedom? Hear Jesus' words about how to handle pressure from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12 in the message. Count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds, and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. The enemy loves to rob us of our freedom, to keep us from living fully alive in Christ, to stunt our flourishing. He will find cunning ways to keep us bound. 
Paul's advice to the Galatians becomes a word for us this morning. Stay the course and hold fast. Like a sea captain commands his sailors in the midst of a storm to securely grip the ship's rigging, Jesus encourages us to cling to him when our freedom is being threatened. Don't turn back. Don't go off course. Experiencing opposition is par for the course. Acknowledge God's presence with you in the storm. Reaffirm your commitment to the call and then hold fast. So far, we've been talking about freedom as a personal, spiritual reality. But Paul progresses on in Galatians 5 to talk about the communal aspect of freedom. Listen to verse 6 and then verses 13 to 15. Verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then verses 13 to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Freedom in Christ begins in the inner person, but it always manifests itself externally as love. In other words, the most free people are the most loving people. In the words of E.J. Epp, we are free from law and sin and free to obey God in a radical fashion by serving our fellow human beings in selfless love. We are freed up to love. As we experience freedom to be our true selves in our relationship with God, we find ourselves able to be our true selves in our relationships with others. Without pretense or pride, unencumbered. Do you see the contrast here? The Judaizers are leading people back to slavery, and Paul is asking the Galatians to love people toward freedom. Freed people, free people. I love seeing this at work in my local church setting. Women who have experienced healing from past abuse, walking with other women who are in the midst of crisis or who are at the very beginning of their own healing journey. Young people who have had real experiences with Jesus in our youth ministry, sticking around and pouring into the youth uh, that are younger than them. We have mentors who go over to our elementary school next door and they spend quality time with one kid so that kid might feel seen, valued, and accepted. And they do this as an overflow of the acceptance that they found in Jesus. Maybe it's someone who's found freedom in Christ through one of our wellness classes in the area of exercise and movement, encouraging and making someone feel welcome at their very first workout. Similar, similarly, as we look out into the world, we see that the freed people of God are active in beautiful efforts to help people experience greater amounts of freedom. 
I think of the work of Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy and the founder of Equal Justice Initiative, who among many things is working to get people who were wrongly convicted, exonerated from death row or International Justice Mission, who is hard at work rescuing people from human trafficking and other forms of injustice worldwide. Their goal is to end modern-day slavery by rescuing and restoring victims, bringing criminals to justice, and strengthening justice systems. In a polarized world where people are, to use the imagery of verse 15, savagely attacking others like wild animals with their words and deeds, the commandment to love our neighbor as ourself is especially relevant. True freedom, the freedom that is found in Christ, begins with one heart being transformed by grace, and then it always moves outward in love toward the other. The fourth and final observation about freedom in Christ from Galatians 5 is that freedom in Christ is synonymous with living a spirit-filled life. Listen to verses 16 to 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we've seen two extremes in this passage. The life of those who have a legalistic, works-based salvation approach. And then Paul warns, warns against this other extreme, and that's a do-whatever-you-want uh, sort of life in the flesh. And the flesh here is more than just our physical body. It's our mind, will, and emotions operating outside of Jesus. While living in the flesh might feel liberating, the feeling is always fleeting, and it doesn't lead to freedom in Christ. Instead, we become a prisoner to our desires, always searching for the next rush. So what's the balance between legalism and license? It's a spirit-dependent life, one that's noticeable by certain traits. Hear these very well-known words from verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If upon hearing these traits you feel shame, that you don't measure up, if it feels like a list of things that you somehow need to accomplish in order to impress God or others, if hearing it makes you want to do a to-do list of areas in your life that you need to clean up, God invites you to come back from that legalistic side and to join Jesus at the center. It's his work in you that produces the fruit. All he needs is your surrender. If upon hearing these traits, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because it seems limiting and not at all very fun, especially that self-control one. 
And you don't want to be one of those stuffy, goody-two-shoes Christians who doesn't drink or gossip. God invites you to come back from the side of license and to join Jesus at the center. Life in Christ is a thrilling adventure, one where joy isn't fleeting, but is steady and rich. Becoming free in Christ will transform you into the most vibrant, creative, winsome version of yourself. All God needs is your surrender. A prayer practice that I found helpful as a way of reflecting on my day, it's sort of a modified prayer of examine, is that at the end of the day, I will read the fruits of the Spirit, but I'll put my own name in them. Elise is patient. Elise is kind. I'll pause after each one and think through my day. If I exhibited that trait, I get a glimpse into the Spirit's work in my life, and I get to taste that freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If I failed to exhibit the trait, which is the more common of the two, I ask God for forgiveness, and I invite the Spirit to transform that specific area. Professor Craig Blomberg, who I believe spoke here just a couple of weeks ago, comments this. He says, the Christian life is not a lawless one, but Christian ethics are fundamentally inward and attitudinal. The fruits of the Spirit cannot be cultivated by enacting laws. They issue from a heart transformed by the indwelling Christ. Inviting the Holy Spirit to transform your heart is a necessary step toward a life of freedom in Christ. The two cannot be separated. They are synonymous. To sum it all up, hear Scott McKnight's description of Christian freedom. We might say that being free is the liberation of a person's spirit from everything that shackles it to sin and ugliness. Being free is the liberation of a person's spirit to do what God wants, to be who God wants, and to enjoy the life that God gives us on earth. Jesus came to set us free. He came so that we might have more of this in our souls. How might God be calling you into an increased freedom in this season? It will be a journey, one that will require that you hold fast and weather attempts at being hijacked. But it will also be one that results in a whole lot of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even my least favorite, self-control. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we invite you to seal what we've heard on our hearts. God, if there's an invitation for us today to uh, start living like freed people instead of sitting in that prison cell with the door open, I pray that you would embolden us to take the steps required to live in that freedom.
we thank you that life in you is a beautiful adventure, not without struggles and storms, but one with deep and abiding joy and peace. God, we thank you for times like this where we can pause in our week and to refocus our eyes on your son, Jesus, because it's only in him that we can be free. We thank you for him, for his life, for his death and his resurrection that bursts wide open those prison doors and sets us free. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.